Talking Like Normal People is brought to you by MyCastingFile.com. MyCastingFile, the place for talent to get their start. All right. Welcome to Talking Like Normal People, a show dedicated to talking about acting, casting, and auditions, and probably some other stuff, too, with people who love it. I am your host, Ryan Glorioso, casting director based in New Orleans, Louisiana. To the right of me, the future, Justin Coulter, casting associate. Hello. Hey, Justin. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. You look rested. I'm I'm sunbronzed and rested. You and, are sunbronzed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling good. Good. All right. I want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers. Please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, or on Google Play. We're also we can be found on this thing called Podbean. I got an email about it, so that's an, that's another avenue you can listen to uh, podcasts through Podbean. Um, Postcard of the day. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with this one from Julie Hot. She's with Trinity Talent Agency, and she's got three pictures on the front of her postcard. Oh wow! And then when you flip it over, ah, there's a picture of me. Look at that! Oh, that's a picture a, of me. That's from our uh, sides. Yeah, that's the she what cut to out, do. Cut out the uh, the picture of me for proper audition framing, and put a heart around it. And Ooh. said, thank you, Ryan, Justin, et al. Might that be the segue into the actor tip of the day? That is the segue. All right. So the one I, I have for today is when memorizing lines, you know, some people, you know, have problems memorizing their lines, young actors, mostly. When memorizing, try to do an activity while you're doing your scene, like washing the dishes, playing basketball, cooking, you know, something mundane. If you can get comfortable doing your lines while you're doing this activity, then you should probably have no problem with the memorization, because you'll yeah. be kind of ensconced into the that world of doing a thing while you're Saying your words. There's nothing mundane about playing basketball. That's a that's a trickier task, but like I I, I get what you're saying. Ask Steph Curry that question. Wow. Damn. We bring I'm that up kidding. right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, I wanted to touch uh, on something I uh, I read on the interwebs. <clears throat> so on our reviews on iTunes, we got a four star review. That's the worst one. We have two four stars. I don't know what the, I think the other one's just a person who clicked four star. So we have two four star reviews out of five. And, um, I like this, the part but where it's you an actual, like good written review, you but tell I, I everybody to, to rate and review and now they all run but the I want, risk of having the review. But I, I want five stars. No, <laughs> I wanted to read this one because, because it brings up a good, uh, a good subject. Okay. So the title is golden, golden nuggets of knowledge. Okay. And it says this podcast is like crack only better for you. Seriously though. It's good to have an inside guy with Ryan and Justin. We have two straight to the point information straight out of the casting director's mouth. However, <laughs> However, I will say I don't like how I hear them discussing actors who are their favorites. I think this is discouraging to actors to hear. The CD is in one of the tiers of power when it comes to an actor getting a job. I think it's unprofessional to publicly discuss favorites. I did that. That was you, me. You did? Yeah, I did okay. do that. I'm sure I do it too, but... <clears throat> You we know. we talk about people we love. Like another actor will bring up an actor and be like, oh, we love them. Sure. And... 
my my suggestion to actors who uh, get discouraged by this is let that empower you and yeah. try to become one of those actors that we do look to to deliver yeah. and become one of our quote unquote favorites. Not that we have favorites. I mean, I'm not really friends with very many actors, right? I mean, sure. I am in the audition room yeah. when they come in, but it's not like we're you know, hiring our friends, yeah, like, you oh, know, to be uh, in shows. And ultimately we send a group of, as Jason Edwards and I were talking about, we send a group of people up the ladder, you know, at the end of the casting session. And the person that gets picked is ultimately, yeah. you know, from the group, but it's going to be by the producer or you know, the director. Also let it inspire you, but don't compare your career with anyone else's career. You know, if you're if you're going to sit down and compare your career to Lance Nichols, you're going to have a head scratcher there. Lance Nichols? Out. Yeah. Who's that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. oh, look, look over here. <laughs> well, all right. So today's guest. That's called segue. Yeah, that's a good segue. <laughs> today's guest, he has a film and television career spanning four decades. He is a staple in the film community in the Southeast and beyond. With nearly 200 film and TV credits to his resume, he can be seen in the upcoming season three of Into the Badlands, reprising his role as River King. You've seen him as Larry Williams on four seasons of Treme and as Mayor Jean Clancy on House of Cards. Cool show. Mm -hmm. He's an actor, producer, teacher, and mentor to many up-and-coming actors in the South. With way too many credits to list, please welcome the great Lance Nichols. Yay. In my best, very, very white voice, right on. Right on. <laughs> Lance, dude, I was going through your uh, your IMDb, you know, to I, I usually do that to kind of henpick like the ones I'll talk about in your little blurb. And I was like, Jesus, he's got a lot of credits. It's a long list. I mean, there's probably some that aren't even on there. No, there are. And there's some on there that sometimes when I'm bored and I have nothing to do and I just go back and look at my IMDb page and I'll go, what the hell? <laughs> I remember some, what am I doing there? Then I have to go to that page and look it up. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Because after a while, they just sort of bleed together, man. Damn. And I mean, if you have like, if you're pushing 200 TV and film credits, what is your theater credit list yeah. like? I mean... Uh, well, you know, I majored in, in theater. My guy, I have my degree from UNO in drama communication. So if you want to go back to college and then you include regional theater, I probably have about 150 theater credits. Damn. Gosh. Damn. That's a lot. That's, I mean, so you are definitely seasoned. I so, couldn't even name 150 plays, to be honest with you. Oh, I'm I mean, sure you could. Just, you tried. I'm be sure hard. you could. I mean, that'd be hard for most people who aren't a theater <laughs> professor to do. Don't you think? I don't know. I could, you, I could, could you name 100 150 movies? movies? Yeah, easily. Really? Yeah. I mean, it would take me a while. I, I'd probably, I'd probably say Bill and Ted's twice, but there were, <laughs> yeah, there was a there sequel. Was, so. There's gonna be a third one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So Lance, um, start from the beginning. Who are you? Where are you from? How'd you get here? You can go back as far as you want. Well, you, if you want to start from conception, my mom and my dad kind of, you know, okay. But not, you want to go that far they back, right? Yeah. That's good. Did. That's All important. Right. Anyway, uh, I'm the youngest of three kids um a child born in the mid 50s uh was grew up here in new orleans went to high school graduated from uno in 77 with a degree in drama communication interestingly enough though when i first started at uno i was a pre-med major Whoa. because somewhere down the line i thought i wanted to be a doctor specifically 
a pediatrician because I love kids. And then after the first year of taking a lot of general degree courses and looking at my GPA, I went, <laughs> that ain't going to work. You figured you'd be one yeah. on TV. I figured yeah. I could play a doctor. I don't have to be a doctor. Did right. you play a doctor? And you're like, this is okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was much easier. You play doctors often. I, right? Many, many doctors. Yeah. So uh, when I switched majors after my freshman year uh, from pre-med to drama communication, my GPA went from like a 2.2 to a 3.6, and then I realized I had found my calling, so to speak. Um, graduated 77, stuck around here another year, worked at the now defunct Beverly Hills Playhouse. It's uh, defunct? Out, well, it burned down, so. Oh. oh. Yeah, back in the 80s. Yeah, it's, it's really defunct. Uh, and then I left here in 78 and went to L.A. and started my career in L.A. in 78, uh, and then moved back here to New Orleans in 2002. So I spent 24 years in L.A. on the front end, moved back here in 2002, and then some nasty bitch named Katrina kicked me back out Yikes. here in 2005 and went back to L.A. for 14 months and then came back here permanently in November of 2006. So total, I spent 25 years in L.A. Dang. Yeah, long that's, time. That's a long time. So are, are all your family still here? Are, you, are your siblings still with us? Or your well, uh, the or? reason why my, my, I met my wife in L.A., but she's from here. We moved back here in L2 because we, we had elderly parents, and, okay. and both of them were kind of going through some health challenges at, at the time. And so uh, we came here in Christmas of 2001 and made the decision that we needed to move back here to kind of help take care of them. We moved back here in July of 2002, and I got a chance to spend the last almost two years with my dad before he transitioned. Uh, my mother-in-law transitioned in 2007, and my mom transitioned two years ago at the age of 96. So wow. uh, it was great to just yeah. be here and to be here with my parents and to spend that time, the quality time with yeah, them. Yeah, it's really great that you got to do that. Yeah, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. No. And it's funny because when I made the announcement uh, to the industry in 2002 that I was moving back home, I did the whole picture postcards like actors do. Picture on one side, and I had a big thank you on the other side. Like I thanked those. everyone. Yeah. And as soon as they started to hit the casting director's office, my manager got flooded with phone calls saying, why is he leaving? Is everything okay? And my manager said, well, he's just moving back for family. And so a lot of my friends were like, what are you going to do about your career, man? I mean, there's nothing in New Orleans. Because you're talking about 2002. And I said, well, I'm just going to have to trust God. The month and the year that we moved here, which was July of 2002, was when the state passed the tax credits. Right. Because they knew you were coming. I, I guess so, man. <laughs> they got the memo. Yeah. <laughs> and the first movie that was done under the tax credits was Runaway Jewelry. Yeah. And right. I got a small part in that. Uh, I met uh, Lisa Fincannon that way. Right. And then uh, a week before I was supposed to start shooting, my role got cut, but my name was still in the credits and I still get residuals ah, almost 30 something years out, not almost 18 years later. That's yeah. awesome because that was a huge movie and I'm sure that you're very thankful. Yeah. For, I'm very thankful. For, for that, for them to have put your name in the yeah. in the credits. Your name came up. Uh, we had a meeting with the, that director. Yeah. Yeah. And your name came up in conversation. Yeah. Talking about local actors. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it was a good, <laughs> Thing like, yeah, it was yeah, a good thing. Yeah, good. good. We won't talk about that movie. Though. Yeah. We'll tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so tell us, take us back, uh, go back to leaving to go to Los Angeles. Uh, you know, what was that like for you as a young actor? How did your family feel about that? Yeah. What, like, what was that transition from here to there in the late 70s like? Well, during that time, there, w there was very little film work here. Um, 
I think I, I remember I remember getting a part in a movie that was shot here around 76, 77 called Superdome with uh, David Jensen was in it. And, Love him. Um, uh, I can't think of this from the other people, but it was like a movie for TV, ABC movie for TV. It was pretty cheesy, but uh, I had a small <laughs> speaking part. Uh, I knew when I graduated, I was going to have to make a move if I really wanted to do it. So it was either L.A. or New York. I had a sister who had been living in L.A. since the late 50s. So I knew I had a place to stay. And I don't do coal real well. So that sort of nicks New York (laughs) right away. Um, So when I graduated in 77 from UNO, I graduated on a Friday and then started working at UPS here part time that Monday. Worked there for about two months and then got a second job at uh, Beverly uh, Beverly Dinner Playhouse, which is a which used to be a dinner theater in Jefferson Parish, Equity Dinner Theater. Sure. So I would get up and go to work at UPS 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., come back home, sleep, and then go to work at the Playhouse from like about 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night, go home, sleep, and then repeat that whole cycle. That's a hustle. And I did that. Well, I was, I was always very— You were saving up. I was saving up, man, you know, to, for yeah. the move. And so uh, I did that for a year. And then in uh, September of 2000, in September of 1978, I moved to L.A. And uh, it was quite a shock for me, good old Southern boy. What, uh, what, what happened once you got there? Like, what, was, what were well, your steps? And like, um, how did I you stayed, survive? I stayed with my sister for the first, well, I thought I was going to stay with my sister for a good six months. And then about a month after being with her, she pulled me aside one day and said, um, I'm getting ready to file divorce from my husband, and I don't think you need to be in this house. So mm. I'm going to help you find a place to move. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just got here. <laughs> so she helped me find uh, an apartment. And the good thing about it was the people that owned the property were longtime friends of my parents. And so there was an apartment available, and I moved in, uh, and then I had to get a job. I, because I think I had saved about ten grand, which back in '78 was a decent amount of money yeah. to come with. Yeah, it's but a lot I of knew money now. Yeah, but I knew eventually I, I was going to have to buy a car. Yeah. So I had no credit, so my sister co-signed for me to to buy a car. I had transportation, and then I immediately got a job working for some manufacturing company, putting together uh, storage racks. Uh, and so I did that. Then I jumped into sales, started selling toner for printers and stuff, which was like a huge freaking scam, man. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff how you'd have to like finagle people to basically went like this. You you you, you call people and you say, hi, this is so and so and so and so with this something company. Uh, I'm going over through my 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 records right now and and. and you know, I'm so clumsy. I spill coffee on my records. <laughs> I can't tell what your model number was. Would you do me a favor and, and go tell me what your model number was on your on your on your copy machine? Oh my god! And so they go, yeah. Hold on a second, and they come back and go, yeah, I got a Xerox one. And you go, oh, yes, what that X is? I'm looking at on my script. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it looks like you're up for toner. And it was a BS pitch, man. But it but worked. People, people bought it. People bought it. Sounds and like I, you weren't great at it. I wasn't. I, you know, there was one part of me that was like, the money's good, but the other person was like, yeah. this ain't right, man. This yeah. just ain't right. So I did that for about three or four months, and then my conscience just got the best of me, and I said, I can't do this anymore. And then that's when I started working for the manufacturing company that I was telling you about, and I did that for about a year. 
and got tired of that. And I said, well, what kind of job can I get that'll give me the freedom to be able to audition? Yeah, you're auditioning while you're doing these right, jobs, exactly. Right? Yeah, and so you know, the then point. then I was working for a newspaper company, but then I had to lie every time I had an audition. You know, you know, I'd, yeah. have, I'd have to start getting sick two days before. <laughs> oh, I don't feel so good. Oh, so gosh. by day three, I'd go, oh, God, I don't think I'm coming in today. And then uh, your grandma can only then they started so you only have like, yeah, you only have like how many grandmothers you yeah. got. Yeah, right. Um, so then, um, you know, during that time, like late 70s, right around 80, a lot of actors who had regular gigs were either doing like waiter waitressing type jobs mm-hmm. or they were driving taxis. And I said, well, I think I'll start driving a cab. And I started driving a cab at nighttime, which gave me my daytimes free. And I did that for about five or six years. Oh. And that was interesting. I could write a book. This was you way should. before Taxi Cab Confessions. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. I could write a book on some of the stories, especially driving nights I, in L.A. I yeah. I drove every type of clientele you can imagine, man, from the hookers and the pimps Whew. to the rich white boys I picked up in Beverly Hills, taking them down to- To the hookers and the hair, pimps. To, to heroin <laughs> and crack. Where they, where they, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a microwave park. Yeah. Oh yeah, MacArthur Park. MacArthur Park. MacArthur yeah. Park. Got robbed twice. You once did. at once wow. at gunpoint, and then about three years later at knife point, and then after that, I'm like, I'm I'm out. I'm out. So how did you uh, how did you manage you know getting into the acting scene and. In Los Angeles, how did you did you get Getting an agent, agent right away? Yeah, or a manager. Start classes. No, actually, the first thing I remember doing was student films. Um, yeah. At that time, there was a publication called Dramalog uh, in L.A., and so I would look in there for casting notices, and I started auditioning for grad films at USC and UCLA. Uh, to just sort of get my feet wet and uh now what was the grind like for that because I've, i feel like some people get in their heads oh i'll just go do some student films i'll just go audition and book it because it's easy was it was it just as tricky was it harder to land roles in that world mm, i wouldn't say it wasn't hard but I, first of all i kept my auditions to grad or thesis projects not first year projects yeah because I wanted to try to work with students that I feel like I could learn something from as opposed to ones who were still learning themselves. Right. Uh, And at that time, USC had a program with the U.S. Department of Navy where uh, some of their recruits who wanted to major in film, they were film majors at USC, and uh, they would fund their projects for them. And I don't just mean like industrial films, I mean narrative, dramatic films. And so I ended up doing a couple of those for a couple of the Navy guys. Uh, going, then I went to UCLA, did a couple of projects, AFI. Uh, so I did that for about maybe a year because I didn't have a reel. Yeah. Of course, a reel wasn't all that important 40 years ago as it is now. Right. Uh, and then that segued into, which is the precursor to sort of like the casting director workshops. Back in the late 70s, a group of actors would pool their resources together, say put in 75 bucks a piece, rent a small theater for lunchtime, and have an actor showcase. Nice. Oh. Uh, so you'd say you get 20 actors and you have like a combination of uh, 10 scenes or monologues. So the whole evening would be an hour. You would uh, rent a catering company. So uh, your casting directors are, and your agents that would come for lunch, they would be fed. Smart. You would rent a uh, valet parking service. They'd have their cars parked for them. 
and they would see an hour theater. And then you'd have a kiosk set up with every actor's headshot and resumes. And at the end of the presentation, the casting directors, the agents would just pull whatever actors' pictures and resumes they wanted. And then people got called in like crazy really? from that, man. I've never heard of something. Oh, yeah. That's, that, great. that's how I started. The whole thing with the one-on-one workshops didn't start to like the early 80s. That's when that changed. But before that, that's how showcases were done. Actors got together and produced their own showcases. I love that. You're being very proactive. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. Right now, that sounds wildly clever. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, well, well you know, and, and it was a thing where, you know, an agent or a casting director would, yeah, I'll leave it at my lunchtime. Yeah. You know, they'd yeah. take an hour and a half and then they'd go, they have their cars parked, get fed, schmooze with one another, see an hour worth of, of, uh, of presentation, and then they'd leave. Yeah. I've done worse things for free lunch, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't, think, I don't think there's enough of us here that it would uh, Yeah, it would it benefit would anybody. Yeah. yeah, but that's a great idea. So that that segued into the uh, one-on-one casting director workshops, and then I started doing those, and that's how I got called in because, for the most part, probably not until maybe the 90s, I was never fortunate enough to be with an agency that had clout. So I had to just hustle on my own, and the casting director workshops worked like crazy for me. I got called in. And then I would book, and then that cast director would call me in again and again and again. They were calling you director. They would no. Well, I had an agent. You had an agent, but, yeah, okay, technically. Okay. But but I mean, he got yeah, himself in the. But job. I was doing the work. But uh, there were like two or three casting directors that I can think of right now who, I mean, practically every pilot they did, they called me in for it. And sometimes I booked, and sometimes I didn't. But I developed that rapport with them yeah that's relationship with them when we think about you know you doing the work yourself to get in front of casting directors is there an equivalent to today's day and age of having that sort of grind are there things you can do like that now well it's different now just because you got to understand there was no social media yeah 35 40 years ago so i didn't have to compete that surprises me i didn't have to compete with what you know what are my numbers you yeah. know, no one cared about that. Right. Uh, it was it was more of a level playing field 35, 40 years ago. It was a lot easier for, say, an unknown or up and coming actor to be seen at a workshop by an associate or an assistant or even some cases the, the head person would come out, see your work. And then they didn't care if you didn't have an agent or not. Yeah. You know, they preferred if you did, but that wasn't a deal breaker. Yeah. They would call you in and you book, you book. Exactly. And then, you know, if they liked you, they called you again. So a lot of things that actors are dealing with now, I didn't have to deal with. So a lot of this is new to me. And a lot of it has been kind of a bitter pill for me to swallow, (laughs) to be perfectly honest with you. But, you know, you know, things change and I had to change, too. How how so a bitter pill? I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. Bitter pill in as much as I felt like. 35, 40 years ago, uh, it was really about kind of the work mm-hmm. and, you know, what you brought to the table, not who who your agent was or who oh, your yeah. manager was. They used to give generals back in the day. When casting directors had downtime, your agent would call up and say, hey, uh, I got someone I'd like you to see. And you'd go and you sit with the casting director and talk for 15, 20 minutes. Sure. So they just got to know you. You didn't have to bring in a monologue or anything. They just got to know you. Of course, back then, submissions were hard copy. Yeah. So a messenger service would actually come <laughs> to your agent's office, pick up a stack of headshots and resumes, take them over to the studio or a casting director. And so it, it, was, it was a lot more personal yeah. Yeah. than it is now. 
Technology, man. Yeah, it is. Well, you seem to have a, a really good hustle about you and a great work ethic. W- where does that come from? Where do you get that uh, from? Both parents. Um, yeah. My dad um, My dad was the oldest of nine kids, and so his mom was always very sickly, so he was sort of like a second mom in helping with, the, with his younger siblings. Um, and then my mom, you know, they both, both my mom and my dad worked hard. I got my first job when I was 15. Not that I wanted, not that I had to get the job, but I wanted to have my own money, man. I've always wanted to be independent. So I started working at 15 years old. I uh, had a morning paper route here. Got up every morning um, from uh, 10th through 12th grade at 3.30 every Ooh, morning. No. Rain. Snow, occasional snow, uh, cold. I did it for three years straight and maintained a 3.3 GPA the whole time. So it can be done. So when people say, oh, it's too hard, I say it's BS. Yeah. yeah. If you want it bad enough, how bad do you want it? Yeah. And I wanted it. So yeah. I don't want uh, anything bad enough to wake up 3.30 in the morning. Well, <laughs> come just, on. There's nothing. It's a different world. generation, <laughs> Justin. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so you, d- you didn't do any acting before college? You just yeah. um, high school. I was president of the drama club, and I was on the speech and debate team. And you know, at at high school, McDonough thirty five, uh, but didn't really get serious. Oh, oh, how could I forget this? Started off at North Theater here, so ah, I got to yeah. give credit where credit is due. The, on the West Bank? No, uh, Gaye Hall. Oh, okay. Uh, the late Ty Tracy, who was a director there for. Ooh, Were you there 30. with Geraldine Singer? I don't remember didn't Geraldine. She, didn't she mention Nord I, Theater? I'd have to re-listen to my, the tapes. My first time at uh, Nord was the summer of 72. They did their first predominantly African-American show, a musical called Hallelujah Baby, which had been done the previous year on Broadway with Leslie Uggams and Robert Hooks. And uh, my mom saw the audition notice in the paper, and I went down and auditioned and got the lead role and got to perform with uh, Leah Chase. Wow. Leah Chase played my mother-in-law. In the production. And then I was just, I was bit by the showbiz bug after that. And then I went back the next year. They did Lil Abner. And I auditioned and I got cast as General Bulmos. She was in Lil Abner. That was her first show. She said, that's the title of her episode. Yeah. She says, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> who is, uh, who, but who is some, some, some T. <laughs> Cornpone. Yeah. Oh, ju- Jubilation T. Jubil- Cornpone. Yeah, 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 Jubilation yeah, yeah, yeah. T. Cornpone. She's star- she's the, she was the little I girl. I still remember yeah. that song, man. So you know her. She was the little girl who comes out right before the song and says, but who is Jubilation T. Cornpone? Oh, my God. That that was wow. Geraldine. Geraldine. You know who else was in that production? Brian Bat. Oh, what? my God. Yes. That's why I met Brian Bat. Star started getting yeah. I wonder if Geraldine knows that. Yeah. Because we talked about Brian, Brian Bat, Bat in her yeah. episode. Interesting. Geraldine, if you're listening. Now we need to get Brian, Brian Bat, if you're listening. Listening. Yeah, <laughs> we should have had all three Full of you circle this one. Wow, that that's cool. That's cool. I mean, I you know I'm from New Orleans too, and I I grew up in a theater world here as well. But I never did Nord. Um, Nord was great because Ty treated uh, young people just like adults. Man, he didn't cut you any slack because you were. A kid, he would tell you, it's just not going to be your grandmother's here now. <laughs> Sing out, Louise. <laughs> really. Ty was, he was hard. Sing hardcore. out, Louise. Yes, he was. But he was great because, you know, that, that sort of, I already had a good work ethic, guys, but having someone like that to mentor me, just, mm-hmm. I mean, I owe a lot to him. And I had a chance to tell him before he passed in 
03 how much he meant to me and part of the reason why that I was doing what I was doing was because of him that's great and the work ethics that he instilled in me yeah that's amazing yeah I definitely had some mentors like that you know my I went to De La Salle High School and we had and he's still he's still around uh, brother Michael Livides if you're listening <laughs> he was a good mentor for me in high school did some like amazing productions high school wow. productions you know like we would do like my first play was Macbeth. I didn't oh. play Macbeth. You know who played Macbeth? Cool. Casey Groves. Casey, you know, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, I know Casey. Yeah, Casey Groves. Um, but yeah, like we did shows like Macbeth and Amadeus. Did he also run the speech and debate uh, team? No, no. Okay. That when I was there, it was a woman named Lisa. I can't remember her last name. I remember her first name. I have a bitter story about that. I won't go. <laughs> okay. But this, let it go, Ryan. Okay. Let it go. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the yeah. speech and debate team. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, so, um, okay. So as an actor, what does, you know, our show's namesake is talking like normal people. What does talking like a normal person mean to you as an actor? How do you get there? How do you generate, you know, being grounded and real and just being natural in your performance? Well, you know, I look at what I do. I'm doing now what I did as a kid. I'm playing make-believe. The only difference is I'm being paid to do it. So I look at it from that perspective. A lot of people are on jobs for 30, 40 years, and they hate their jobs. They hate getting up every day, going in there and punching that clock. And I love what I do, man. Yeah. Because I get to, like, step out of myself and be somebody else and and, and not be second-guessed for what I do. So uh, I'm also fortunate enough to have friends and family and, and a wonderful spouse of 38 years who keeps me grounded so uh back in the day if i started to like drift and my head got too big there were quite a few people putting proverbial foots up my ass (laughs) yeah and i think that's important i think you have to have a a support uh network no matter who it is whether it be a spouse or significant other or family and friends who let you know you know if i cut you you bleed just like me you know, when you go to the bathroom and you crap, it smells just the same as mine's does, you know. <laughs> so I don't I don't take it too seriously what I do, if yeah. that makes any sense. I, I love what I do and I appreciate what I do, but I'm not trying to, you know, discover the 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 cure for cancer yeah. or world peace. So and I think sometimes some people take what they do way too seriously. Way man. too it's seriously. Fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. You know, I get to play. Now when you when you talk about your support network <clears throat> Does that is there any overlap between your support network and your film network and how important to finding work is having a network of film people as an actor? Well, I think it's very important because, you know, this business, what I tell my students when I teach, um, you don't necessarily have to be an A-list talent as far as having A-list talent. This business is about relationships, relationships that you develop, relationships that you nurture. It's like a plant. And you, when you plant seeds, you have to water it. You have to put, you know, fertilize it, and you have to watch it. You have to care for it. And you know, once you develop these relationships with people, and they see that they can trust you, that you always show up, you're always prepared. Even if you don't get the role, you never make them look bad when you come in the room. Then they'll call you. Sure. There was a casting director in L.A. worked for Warner Brothers, and every project he did, he called me in, and he even said in front of his well, his director sometime, every project I do, I always call this guy because I know he's always going to deliver, even if he doesn't get cast, he's always going to come in prepared, and that's what it's about, you know. So I don't understand actors who come into an audition, 
and say stuff like, oh, I just got the material. Oh, oh my God. Oh, you just like, really? How do you, how do you deal with, though, how do you deal with uh, a role that you really just don't connect with? Like, you, you get it and you're like, you have this relationship with this casting person or this director, but it's really not something that you are comfortable with or you just don't see yourself at all and you can't, you just can't get there. Like It, it depends. It, it depends on the relationship that I have with that casting director. There are some casting directors that I, you know, I feel comfortable enough that I could shoot them an email and said, look, I see you want me to come in on this. Oh, you want me to tape for this? Uh, can you give me some clarification? I'm a little confused. I don't understand. Or could you give me more information on the background? Because a lot of times we as actors get very little information sure. as far as background is concerned. And a lot of times we look at this like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I'm not Houdini. I'm an actor, yeah. you know? And so if it's a really, really, if I'm really stuck, first of all, I try to figure it out myself or I try to make some choices. But if I feel like I'm really stuck, I will send an email to a casting director and say, um, I need help. You know, I want to do my because I always want to do my best. And I remember a situation, and and I'm gonna see if Ryan remembers this. This okay. was about maybe six, seven years ago. There was an actor who was coming up to read for you when you were in Shreveport. Shreveport. Shout and he was, out. He was coming to read for a project, I think called Skateland. Yes. And he came to coach with me, and so I'm asking him questions like, "So, what's this story about?" He's like, "I don't know." And I'm like, wait a minute, you're reading for a lead, dude. You don't know? He said, no, this is all my agent sent me. So he showed me what the agent sent me. I said, I said, this is all you got? He said, yeah. So something told me, I don't think that's right. <laughs> so I called Ryan, and Ryan was very nice. He answered the phone, and I said, hi, this is Lance Nichols, and I'm coaching this actor, and he's reading for blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't know what this movie is about. And Ryan said, who's his agent? And I said, blah, blah, blah. And he went, Oh, wow. <laughs> Hard side. He said, uh, put the actor on the phone. So uh, I gave the phone to the actor, and Ryan was gracious enough to give him a backstory. And to make a long story short, I thank Ryan for it. He went up there and he booked it. And, and I'm sure Ryan knows what I'm talking about. And the movie went to Sundance. Did well, and the actor moved to LA and is doing very well right now. Doing very well, I know. Doing very well. You know, you know, no, you know. I, I'll let if Ryan wants to mention his name. it to me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He's doing great. But that's a true. That's a true story. (laughs) We can't say his name. Nah. Okay. That's a true story. But you know, I could have been one of those teachers that says, "Well, dude, I'm gonna try to help." But that's not how I work, man. Yeah. I want actors to know as much as they possibly can about an audition. Yeah. Because it just empowers them and it helps them to make better choices. But I felt like that's not my job, man. Yeah. I, you know, that's that going person above should have had that, that, yeah. that information. Sure. Well, at the same time, that's also an example of using that relationship um, that you have nurtured, that you can reach out to a casting director d- directly. Right. And like by right. the agent. But if I had not built up that type yeah. of relationship with Ryan, I would not have been able to do could, that. Could have been an that, ignored That email. particular person, an interesting thing about that role <clears throat> that particular person was going to book um, a smaller role uh, of his group in the in that film, and the actor that were that was friends with the producing team um, had some major issues, and they decided not to use them. Oh, snap. and they instantly moved 
this your guy. actor interesting right up to the to the main role i like okay. how we're dancing around yeah. it like nobody can imdb this movie <laughs> well we'll have him on sometime <laughs> <laughs> if he wants to out himself yeah. he can i just it's, don't feel comfortable it's too doing late. that it's out yeah there. well i'm glad you helped him because yeah. it really kind of I mean, his career kind of t- well, took and, off. And in the a thing way. was, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, after you sort of sighed, like, oh, <laughs> you, that you took the time to really kind of help him, man. And it just well, yeah. It, I mean, we. I want. I want them to be good. Yeah. You know, I don't. I wouldn't want to say. I would never say. Uh, nah, I'm not going to give you any info. Figure it out for yourself. <laughs> like, well, that's part of the challenge. What a jerk! What a jerk I would be. Um, Wow. So so you lived in Los Angeles all those years, and then you come back here and had this amazing career going here. Like, what's what what are the contrasts? Like, are you so glad you moved back? Like, wh- well, I'm, I'm happy I moved back, not just for professional reasons, just but just for life reasons, man. It's just yeah. so much easier to live here was able to buy a home here that I never could have afforded in L.A., which would have been like a 2 or $3 million home in L.A. Uh, and then to just grow up in a city that I was born in and to soak up the culture and the people here, um, sometimes I have to kind of pinch myself. Yeah. Um, the first two years I moved back here in '02. I did go back to L.A. for pilot season, for like two or three months but I really haven't had to go back to LA in about eight or nine years because it's just been so much work here not only here in Louisiana but just in the southeast market yeah because House of Cards that's in Baltimore Baltimore yeah yeah Yeah. so uh, I you know it's it's funny because a lot of my friends guys I've been friends with for like 30 40 years they tell me look dude don't come back to LA Number one, whenever you come back, you always take our job. So just stay where you are. <laughs> stay where you are. You're my boy, but just stay yeah. where you are. And then they said, and then they say, secondly, man, you're working more than any of us out here. Uh, it's gotten very, very difficult, even for veteran actors. Yeah. Uh, actor friends of mine in L.A., man, they're telling me that, you know, you know, they're getting skill plus 10 offers. I'm talking about people who've had like 35, 40 year careers. Or, or, you know, where guest star roles used to be a week, you know, now they're shooting six scenes in one day and they're calling it a one day guest star. And it's it's just it's so different and it's, it's just challenging now. And a lot of my friends are even having difficulty earning enough to get health insurance. Yeah. I uh, mean, it's God, that it's so man. hard for actors, you know, because especially if it's all you've been doing for your entire career. I mean, what else do you what else are you going to do? Right. You know, right. you're, you're, in, you're invested in it. You, know? you are, you know, it's hard. Um, I know in coming back here and starting to work, say, let's say like 10, 12 years ago, a lot of the actors here, uh, a lot of the young actors here were new uh, and they were kind of green and inexperienced and they had really, a lot of them had really messed up attitudes about the business. You know, they was like, Oh, this is acting thing. is kind of fun. I think I want to see if I want to do it. They approached it more from a recreational standpoint. And so uh, there were a lot of people that I had to just weed out, for lack of a better word, because I don't do well with people that are not focused and disciplined. Right. I mean, I don't have many craft. I don't have many pet peeves, but that's a huge pet peeve for me. But now I notice it's completely different. Everybody's really serious now. And I think some of it has to do. There's a lot of transplants. That have moved here. Oh yeah. And those people coming from New York and Boston and LA, they ain't playing. 
They are oh, serious. No, they're not. Yeah. They are hardcore. And so I think the local actors here realize I need to get my you know what together. Yeah. yeah I and mean, so I'm seeing a different kind of student now. Do you think there's any room for the recreational actor around not here, here anymore? Nope. If you don't if you don't take your career serious and approach it as a craft and something that you really have to put the work into, you're gonna you're gonna weed out as I mean, you'll weed yourself out. Yeah. You know, you it's there's too much competition between here and Atlanta, and now there's a huge roster of really good actors in Mississippi. In Texas. You know? Oh, Texas. Yeah. Texas, like, has, to me, always had a great roster of, of talent. I mean, there's and, and it's just unbelievable what those really great actors yeah. are willing to do. Because you you're know? not just competing against New Orleans actors. You're competing against everybody in this region. That's right? true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Word. So Word. get your shh together. Get your stuff. Get, get your, your act stuff. together. Get your act together, yeah. you recreational <clears throat> actors out there. No time for games. And if you are a serious actor and you're thinking of, you don't know where to move, hey, we'll take you in New Orleans. Sorry, Lane. <laughs> we'll take you in New Orleans. Just come on down. <laughs> so um, what do you do when you're not acting? Uh, when, well, there's a couple of things. Uh, I teach. I love teaching. If I wasn't an actor, I probably would be a good teacher because uh, I realize how uh, what kind of influence good teachers have had on me, not just in, in acting, but just in, just in school in general. Uh, the teachers that I remember though, are the ones who made learning fun. And I think learning can be fun. It doesn't have to be boring. I refuse to be the teacher. Our solar system. <laughs> That's not me. Uh, my students laugh a lot in my class, but we learn. And hopefully when they leave, they can apply a lot of the principles that I taught them in, um, in the workshops and in the private coaching that I, that I do. Uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm producing my wife's shows. She's a jazz singer, and she just had her second show back in March at the mm -hmm. jazz market. She did a one-woman homage to Nina Simone. Ooh. So um, I co-produced that with her. And then uh, she and I co-produced our first TV pilot, Which Shepherd. I got yeah. to see, Which and it's did very well. awesome. Two years What's ago. What's happening with that? Well, um, we went to ITV Fest last year, and we won Best Drama at ITV Fest, and I won Best uh, Actor in the Drama. And so it garnered us a pitch meeting with HBO. Uh, two members of the creative team went to uh, L.A. a couple of months ago, had the meeting with HBO. They didn't say no, but they didn't say yes. Mm -hmm. And then those two same members went to cons and had some meetings. And the meetings in cons turned into meetings in L.A. with a production company, which turned into a meeting with a major agency, which I cannot say who it good. is. Okay, if, you can't, if you can't say, that means good things are happening. <clears throat> but right? that major agency is now getting ready to take that to a couple of networks to pitch. So. I crossed my face. Oh, my God. But I, we're really I think it's tight. We're really proud. Well, thank you. We're really proud of that project because everybody from the funding to in front of the camera to behind the camera, everything is Louisiana indigenous. Everything. Wow. My wife and I not only came on as co-producers, but we came on as casting directors. So, so we actually stepped into you guys' shoes. Nice. I'm sure you the, enjoyed that. Enjoyed it immensely. And, and I asked the young director, Andrew Bryan, to kind of trust me on something. I said, Andrew... I said, I want us to cast this thing strictly from video auditions. I don't want to have any live auditions. I want, I want to see if I can prove a point to me. And he said, okay. 
And so uh, he sent me the sides. I reached out to some actors that I knew. And then I went through a couple of agents. I refused to go through breakdown services because I didn't want to be inundated with a thousand headshots and resumes per row. And so uh, we sent out uh, audition sides to maybe about 100 actors because there were like maybe five or six roles we had to cast. One was the role of a five-year-old little girl. And then actors sent in the video auditions. And then my wife and I, we sort of screened the video auditions, forwarded the ones that we thought were the strongest to the director. And he made his selections and from every everybody from video auditions. You were able to get the five-year-old from Yes, videos? we found her... Her mom, my wife knew her mom, and the and then we knew another little five year old girl. We had, I think, we got submissions from three five year old girls, and this one little girl, I wasn't quite sure about her because I was kind of looking at another little kid. My wife said, "No, she's the one." And so we forwarded the three auditions to the director, and Andrew picked the one that my wife picked. He said, "She's perfect for this," and it turns out she was. Great. What was the point you were trying to prove to yourself? The point I was trying to prove to myself, and this is just my personal opinion, that I think sometimes actors can be cast from tape. And it's not always necessary for an actor to be in the room all hmm. the time. I don't like all that opinion. <laughs> I, I, I'd said it was my opinion. Yeah, no, no. You, yeah, you, you have, I mean, actors can book on tape. I, yeah, I, and I they do. Every single they day. They do often. Yeah. We book actors from About tape often. Every day. Is it my favorite? But not today. Not no. <laughs> is it my? I we could we could talk about that for a long time. Actually, let's make that the the next, the next episode. episode. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about so that. So, what what is something that you would want casting or producers to know about you that they don't already know? Oh, what that they don't already know. Actually, um, my the first fifteen years I spent in L.A., I, I did half hour sitcoms. I did, laugh tracks? I did mostly pretty much every major half hour sitcom that was on TV in the 80s I was on. And a lot of casting directors don't think of me when they think of comedy. comedy. They think of me for drama. Yeah. And I want them to know I'm a funny mom. Yeah. <laughs> I can be funny. I really, really can be funny. And I wish... Um, I wish we had some half-hour yeah. comedies here because yeah. I would love to do cast well, that. Well, actually, anymore. I just did something for Liz that was comedic, and um, and I really appreciated that she called me in on it because I think traditionally when casting directors think of me, they, they think of me more for like serious stuff. Yeah, I sure do. You know, mm -hmm. I'll show you. I got some. I got clips of some of the old stuff that I've. Yeah. I've seen some on Facebook. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, like Third Rock and oh. Mad About You and uh, like Everybody Loves Raymond. I, I I did them all, man. It was hardly a sitcom that I did not do back in the day. And at the at that time, I couldn't do one hour dramas because then he's a sitcom actor, oh, so he can't do one hour okay. episodic. So eventually, that changed. But I haven't really done a sitcom in a long time, and I would love to be on a sitcom. Because it's like doing a play, especially yeah. when you do it before a live yeah. audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like did doing you, a play. Did you have to learn that kind of on the job, like dealing with the three cameras? No, because it was like doing a play, except yeah. they, were, they just put cameras up. Because you had the live audience and the bleachers and everything. It was fun. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. All right. You got some questions for us? Yes. I have two questions for you gentlemen. All right. The first question is... Um, because I, as I was saying that, you know, I did a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one cast director workshops in L.A. And one of the questions that would always come up is what are some things that actors have done in, in the room 
that have really kind of like turned you off or like you found incredibly stupid. And I remember a couple of casting directors saying that uh, uh, certain actors, you know, if it was a scene where there was a kiss, the cast, the actor tried to reach over and tried to kiss them. Yo, no. Or wait a minute. Or if it was a scene where uh, the, there was a weapon pulled out, the actor literally pulled out a gun uh, in yeah. the room. Or there was a scene where it was a rape scene and the actor actually got on the floor and started to hump the floor. Okay, don't rape the floor. And so... Um, <laughs> Don't do that. So I want to know. All of those things that happened to me. I want to know, and you don't have to be specific, (laughs) but I want to know, has there ever been a situation or situations where someone has done something so totally off the wall in the room that you have probably called their agent and said, I will never see that person again? Who? Oh, God. I mean, the the knife thing has happened. Someone pulled out a real knife in the middle of a scene. And it's somebody threatening to kill themselves. And I'm like, am I about to watch somebody die like right here? Well, um, I, I had a, I had the only time I've ever called an agent and said, I can never hire that person again was not from the person being in the room. It was from something they did. I know exactly what on, you're talking about. On set. Well, like kind of on set and then offset on a day when they weren't even working and even supposed to be there. Uh, and I got called from the producers, like, what the F is up with this person? Like, showing up uh, to the craft service table and filling up a bag to take home, like that kind of stuff. Um, that, I mean, I think that that's just some issues going on with a person that, like, I, I couldn't, like, I could never talk to him and say, dude, you can't, blah, because blah. You know, like, he just has issues. Or is it a she? You'll never know. <laughs> I use gender neutral pronouns when I say we had a person yeah. that did um, something nearby. I mean, I've I've talked already in a, a previous episode about uh, a crazy guy who came in uh, with, he wanted to be in this, he wanted to audition for a role. He wasn't even an actor, but he wanted to audition for a role um, of a... Exterminator. An exterminator in uh, the movie. Oh, yeah, it was called yeah. The Midnight Man. He came in, like, he just showed story. up and, like, was spraying my office with, like, exterminating stuff and had a mask on and pulled it off and, like, did, showed me this whole portfolio of him with a giant buck knife with it to his son's neck and then, like, with his son over his shoulder and the knife over his wow. back. What did you say, buck or butt knife? Buck. Oh, okay. I'm like, I was like, like a, what's giant, a butt knife. A giant... You don't have a butt knife? <laughs> well, he. It looked like he was going to stab in his butt. Wow. Um, yeah. So I got freaked out by that. We had a guy, uh, but I don't know who we, I don't know this yeah. guy. We had a person be banned from this building. For, oh, for some, that's yeah. So that would be, they I, what, we had what, to call. What was the situation? It was weird. They, this person went into a different building nearby. That's not even that's not our part of our building, building. to kind of like rehearse their lines and their in scene, the bathroom. Their scene was a grotesque scene. And so somebody heard this person. And he didn't have uh, a shirt on. This person. This person. Yeah. And so like they're they're just banned for being weird. And the security cameras got them from the other place and contacted us at this building. Do you know this person? Yeah. And then basically uh, trespassing was their, trespassing. was their main concern. And then came in, did his audition here and for Justin and I. And was interesting in some ways, but it was like this. 
It was the, it was disgusting. It was the most bizarre audition yeah. of all time. Then he left. Then we found out about all that. Yeah. And then had to call the agent and say, hey, this all happened. Um, he can never come back to this building because he's banned. Wow. So therefore, he can never audition for me. And they dropped him. Yeah. Mm. I can't think of anything you know? that happened in the room where we were just like, Close the door. That was like, just a that was just another yeah. nail in the coffin for this person who had done like other really kind of crazy things, but that was the craziest. You know what? There was one recently when we were doing a commercial where somebody just refused to listen. Like it was a uh, you auditioned for this commercial. You were in this commercial. No. Yeah. Well, um, you know who I'm talking about. It was uh this person came in and the scene is like everybody's having fun and being lively and he just wouldn't listen and like he was being like a child to the point where I had to scold him like a child this person three times my age and when he left we were like he's never coming back here ever again <laughs> ever again but we are forgiving yeah he'll, he'll, he'll be back next week yeah it's just, I have to calm him down sometimes. but you know and the thing is it's so unnecessary I, I it's sad when actors sabotage yeah, you know their audition. Well, some of them don't even know. Yeah, they just don't know. Yeah, they think. I mean, there's a fine line between making a bold choice and doing something like completely idiotic and ridiculous and yeah. gross, or having a not likable personality. <laughs> some people aren't likable, and your best bet is to just come in and not show us who you are. Well, that's true there because the audition starts from the moment you walk yeah, across the threshold. That's true. If you have a problem holding on to friends, just do do the work in the room. Don't don't come in and try to be buddy buddy. There you go. Mm -hmm. Do I get another question? Yeah, go absolutely. For it. So uh, this would have been sometime around the early '90s. I was hired as a paid reader uh, for heads of casting at a major studio in LA. They were casting a, a film, and so. Uh, I was a reader at producers' meetings, so there were no pre-reads because everybody who was coming in to read was very well-known. Not necessarily A-list, but very well-known. So I was in the room with the <clears throat> heads of casting, director, producer, writer, and each the, uh, the person, the, the, the well-known actor would walk in, director, producer, writer would stand up and greet them, oh, so happy to see you, and I loved you in your last film, and I've always wanted to work with you, and then that person would proceed to read with me. And so, you know, we would probably see 20 people in one day. And I kid you not, they would greet this person and say how much they really wanted to work with them and how much they really enjoyed their work. And no sooner than that person would walk out of the damn door and the doorknob would hit their ass, the conversation would go, oh my God, I <gasps> never would work with that person. They're <laughs> such an asshole. I only saw them because their agent kept pressuring me. Wow. And I sat there and I went, oh my. This is what goes on in the room. They just looked at this person in the face and and told them they were the hottest thing since sliced bread and how much they really enjoy working with them. And when they walked out the door, this is how they really feel. Yeah. And you know what it did? It made me and you can say maybe I'm being uh, jaded or whatever. But from that point on, I no longer believed anything that anybody <laughs> told me in the room. And what it taught me was to stop trying to read the room. And I tell my actors that all the time. Yeah. Guys, go in, do the best job that you can, have fun. Don't try to read the room because you can't. Mm -hmm. you, there have been times I've gone in an audition and I go, I slayed that. Didn't get cast. There have been times I've gone in and I walked out and like, what the hell? I don't know what the hell I just did. 
and I got cast. Or you go to a callback, particularly a commercial callback where everybody's got their heads in the laptop. Yep. And the only person looking at you is a director. And then you walk out there thinking, man, they didn't even look at me. It's like, it's not about them looking at you and guys. And then you book it. And then you book it. <laughs> so I tell my actors, don't believe anything you hear in the room. Just right. go in and do your job. Yeah. Um, I mean, casting obviously is very subjective. And I I don't think I've ever been privy to any like thing as harsh as that. But I mean, yeah, definitely there are opinions when someone leaves a room. Um I've never had someone be like, "Ugh, I would never." Oh my god, you know, it hasn't been that dramatic, but I definitely I definitely have seen someone do a great job and and then just like no, you know, them say, "Great job. Nice to meet you. That was that was wonderful," you know. Uh even a, you know, there are some directors who cast in the room, which is always a mistake, who are like, "You got You got oh, the part. I'm going to give you the part. Like you're so great." And then something happens and they they don't get the part for whatever reason. Um, but sometimes it's vexing to me. Like they'll, they'll be really good. They'll do a great job. It'll feel like they're digging on it. And then they'll see everybody for whatever role. And then no one, they don't want any of those people, you know, out of the mix of people that they've called back. Um, Generally, we pick someone for each role from whoever is called back, uh, but sometimes that happens. I, I don't think I've ever had anybody be completely super mean. Have you? I mean, you you haven't been in too too many callbacks. I mean, yeah, in in callbacks specifically, um, I I can't even come close to thinking of a time where somebody's been. Well, we did. Uh, we did have the one guy who never even got seen for the one commercial. Uh, yeah, that was that was that tough. was bad. Yeah, he was mad. Yeah, and when it's yeah, in callbacks, um, it's hard. That's the hardest route. Uh, that's the hardest room to read, because most directors yeah. aren't giving away anything. They're like, okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, I we have n- no idea. Like, I'll have if they leave their notes behind, yeah. I'll have to go back and be like. <laughs> Oh wow! They gave they that like person that like person? five stars, yeah. you know, whatever the grading code is that they're doing. Sometimes they don't even look at the schedule. They don't make any notes. It's like all in there, you know. It's like send us the tapes after and we'll review. Yeah. Or like my favorite is when it's clear. It's like okay, we sit down at the end. Like let's cast this person yep. for that. Let's cast this person for that. Let's cast this person for that. You know, I feel bad for the other people who didn't, especially when people drive in for an, a, a callback yeah. and all that stuff. But uh, it is what it is. But n- no, I haven't really experienced anyone being yeah. a total shitbag. I think when it's just you and me. Unless the actor is completely off base and crazy. I mean, right. I have had that. Like, what the hell was up with her? Yeah. And that what, just embarrasses you know? us. Because yeah. we, we invited him to we meet have, the director. We have had that happen. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's disappointing. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody has bad days um, and who knows what's going on in an actor's mind, like what, what kind of psych up they've done for themselves or, uh, you know, mental crap they have going on. But what I say to that is you need to focus before you come in, like take some, take 10 minutes to like really ground yourself. Don't think about all the other crap. Try to shake the nerves or use the nerves within your scene and come in and just do what you can with the scene. You know, a lot of times 
what what bombs it for actors is they come in and they're like really chatty or yeah. asking a bunch of questions trying to be too like friendly. unnecessary stuff not like if if the team is asking you questions and you're answering the questions great you know but we're not here to hang out we're here to you know get to know you a little bit but we want to see you deliver on the yeah. on the scene right. some some people come in and they're like i'm going to book it with my personality and they yeah come in with a <laughs> with a jazz square i'm like how are you guys jazz doing hands. how's your flight where are you guys staying and i'm like no yeah just focus on the reader just, and call and call i make a lot i make a yeah. lot of faces in uh callbacks like i'm a facey person and yeah. i'll be like the, the, if you could see me right now, I'm like you, making eyes. The dagger stare. You like, guys yeah. remember the Sandman from uh, the, with the hook, the guy who would hook people off the stage? Yes. At the Apollo? Yeah. yeah. You should have somebody here that does that when I it's your yeah. turn. I want Jason over. Edwards in a bowler hat. Yeah. But in, when, in the room when it's just Ryan and I, um, some, sometimes we're moody. And you could come in and crush it, and we're just like, great, thank you, leave. But you could have been great. Sometimes we're in a great mood, and you could come in and well, high five, and like, like that was the best audition all day. It just, it just depends. But so don't, you know what? And and again, this is just my personal opinion. But I, I tell my students that I coach, if you're having a really, really bad day, you know, your your dog got hit or whatever, um, tell your agent, look, I. This is just not a good day for me to come yeah. in. See if you can reschedule because you bring that energy into the room, guys. I don't care how good of an actor you think you are. Whatever's going on in your personal life, you bring that into that room. And so you're better off maybe the passing on that audition so you don't bring that energy into the room. And then maybe the next day you feel differently. Then you go in and do your best. But, uh, right. uh, you know, I'm fortunate. I think I've maybe had two instances in almost 40 years where I just, you know, was not having a good day and I didn't want to bring that energy into, into a room or to, or into a, even a taped audition. Yeah. Cause that shows up in a taped audition. Now as a casting director, you may not know exactly what it is, but you'll go, Hmm, something's not, yeah. something's a little yeah. off there. You know what? One of the, one of the really nice moments I remember about you, um, and I know we haven't even talked about the fact that you auditioned for things for me for like five years before you even cast got cast on something. Oh yeah, Claudia. Thanks for Claudia. For, uh, Claudia, and I, Claudia and I used to have conversations about that. Bless her soul. I don't know what's wrong with Ryan. He just he just I know you do good work. He just does not cast you. I don't know what it is. Oh, Claudia. N O M T. So uh, one thing that really like pops for me is long time ago Liz and I were helping this I don't even remember what it was but it was this like high school student that you did the movie this on uh, the North Shore yeah the Fireflies yes thing. yes yes um, and we we put out a, we were helping these kids like mentoring them to run a casting session it was for I don't remember what it was for but anyway you came in to the open call and I just remember you being like really like positive about it and in a good spirit about it and you came in and you're like hey I want to do this I want to do this can you look here blah 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 you know, like you set the tone and like gave everybody there a really good experience and you know it was a no brainer like after you left we were, Liz and I were like because we didn't decide who was getting cast we were like you guys have to cast Lance Nichols I mean mm -hmm. did you see what he did in the you know he came in the room and, and owned it and he'd be great to have on your set And but I just remember thinking 
I, that is really cool of you to, cause you didn't, I'm sure you didn't get paid for it. None of us got paid for it. No. You know, it was like a really cool thing for you to come in and like give your time to that. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I, I do that. Ryan, when I first moved to LA in 78, I didn't have anybody to mentor me in this business. And so as a result, you know, I got scammed more than once, more than twice. And I made a promise to myself that when the day came that I did kind of know what I was doing and I would try to reach back and help as many people as I could. So all I'm doing is keeping a promise that I made to myself and to God. That's all I'm doing. Sweet. It's beautiful. And on that note, I think we got us a show here. That's a good one. So, um, Lance, thank you so much. Thank you, Lance. You're an awesome guest. Yes. And I think we learned a lot of good stuff about you. Um, I want to thank uh, Jason, producer, engineer, guy who edits the shows when we need it. A.K.A. Sandman. <laughs> Sandman. Wah, 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 wah. I don't even know what that sound does. All right. Uh, follow us uh, at Talk Like Normal, at Glorioso Casting, at Jason Edwards TV, at Full Grown Mouse, Justin TC underscore underscore on Instagram, at Lance E. Nichols uh, on the Twitter, are you on Instagram as well? I'm on Instagram too, Lancey Nichols uh, on Instagram. Boom. So yeah. both. And uh, that's our show. We're out. Thank you. Talking Like Normal People is brought to you by MyCastingFile.com. Create a searchable profile accessible by multiple casting directors who are casting major film, television, and commercial projects. MyCastingFile.com. <laughs>